Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Talking about Indianapolis, AFC South, Stampede Blue, let's air it out. Fly route, let's air it out. Topics, loaded like offense, cold centric, talking about it often. Stampede Blue, let's air it out. Welcome back to another Stampede Blue Colts cast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Danley. We are live on YouTube as well tonight, uh, bringing on our man, Zach Hicks, uh, on the Colts cast tonight. Going to talk some of the Colts draft in general. We're going to talk a little more definitively about the Colts secondary and some of the draft picks that they've acquired through uh, this recent draft, what that kind of does to the to the group itself, and much more. So, uh, Zach, thanks for for jumping on the show, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I'm just been a really fun draft and very fun past week here. What was your favorite? Who's your favorite draft pick first and foremost? I'm curious. Oh man, that's tough because I liked a couple of them, uh, especially now that I'm starting to get into the film rooms on each of the guys. Yeah. Uh, really so good. far, I would probably say uh, Paris Campbell, just yeah. because man, he, he's going to bring so much to the offense. And I think I the way I summarized it in my film room, which dropped today on on Stampede Blue. Uh, was, you know, at the end of the day, he has the potential to be a guy like T.Y. Hilton. He has all the ability to be as good as T.Y. Hilton with his speed, his strength, his ability to stretch vertically. Uh, but at, at the worst, you're going to still get like a higher upside, you know, chest, like a better version of Chester Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, at worst, you're going to get a, a role player who can play special teams and catch those screen passes and stuff. So at his bare minimum, he's still going to be a good player in this offense. So I'm, I'm really excited about that pick. I think he's just going to be you know, high floor as well as high ceiling type of guy. And I really like uh, what he brings the offense, and I'm super excited about that pick. Yeah, I, you know, Bonogu was kind of one of those picks. Like, I didn't have him ranked very high in my edge class because I just didn't think he was a pure edge. You know, I just didn't. But when Ballard said something about moving him to linebacker, I thought, now that's that's a smart move, you know, kind of having him at Sam a little bit, plus also using him on the edge. And then I thought, why didn't they just draft Winovich? And then I saw you met you uh, tweeted that the other day. I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying right there. Why didn't Winovich get the pull on that? But I like Bonagu. I just didn't see him as as a top edge in the class. But in, in general, uh, you you saw the the most recent with the with the next pick for the Colts. Uh, their episode five where they were in the uh, war room. Did you get yeah, to see I haven't that seen yet? it yet. You need to see I know that. it just dropped. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I have it queued up, and I'm going to watch it probably right after we get off here. Yep, you need to watch that. And, and folks, if you guys are listening uh, on YouTube or whatever, you guys need to check that out too uh, pretty soon tonight because it's really, really good. <clears throat> really interesting to see that they go through their first four picks, and they are just absolutely freaking stoked about all four of them. And, and, and you can kind of see how it's playing out when you hear them talking about 
you know, several, several picks ahead talking about Bonago or, or, or talking about Paris Campbell or talking about Okariki. You know, they were talking about Okariki, even uh, who was it when they were talking? Um, I think it was that they were talking about uh, uh, Jerry Green or Gary Green, the edge out of Mississippi State. They were talking about him, said, man, let's get him. We should have picked him a while ago. So that tells you that they thought about him as a fifth round pick and just they were able to get him in the sixth. And I think that that was kind of the the takeaway from the Colts draft in general. There were a lot of guys that they felt they got in premium spots. And when I say the premium spots, I mean premium in terms of they got them at a premium where they were drafted versus where they had them uh, ranked on their board. So I think that the Colts are real happy with this class. I'm happy with this class. I like it. I think that they did really well uh, navigating themselves through it, finding some some extra, you know, some extra value. I think with a lot of these things. Plus, they just supplemented everything that is currently there on the defense so well. I thought, um, but just in general, you know, I, I like what they did with the offense. I like that they added some depth at the offensive line. Hopefully, it's real depth. You know, hopefully these guys can actually play and aren't just camp bodies, you know, you never really know uh, once you get guys in there. But I think the linebacking core is going to be stronger. I like that what Paris Campbell brings to the wide receiver core. Uh, the line, like I said, the, the edge group is going to be fun, I think, especially when you add another pure pa- pass rusher like Gary Green in there. And then you get, you know, kind of the the group uh, of Taekwon Lewis and, and all the other guys and, and, and just – the guys who have been there for a while, the guys who are there now, it just looks like the, the group is kind of starting to evolve a little bit. So I like the way this defense, you know, heavy defensive draft, I think is uh, pretty exciting for the Colts in the into the future. So let's just hope the offensive line holds up and everything else goes on. And, and honestly, let's just hope that Houston stays healthy because that's really the key yeah. to a lot of this. With with If, if Houston stays healthy uh, – a lot of things are going to happen. A lot of things are going to grow organically for the Colts defensively, in my opinion. So it <clears throat> should be fun. But today, largely, we are here to talk about the secondary and what the Colts did in the secondary. Let's talk about it real quick uh, with the second round pick, number 34 overall, that the Colts was ultimately their very first pick of the draft. They drafted Rock Yassin or Abdul Rahman. Yasin, that's his real name, folks. I didn't know that. I'm looking at it, going, "Who the hell is that?" It, it is Rock Yasin. So, uh, they he's a six foot uh, corner at a Temple. They ended up getting um, uh, Kari Willis, safety out of Michigan State, with the 109th pick in the fourth round. Marvell Tell was actually a safety at USC, and they got him with the fifth round pick, number 144 overall. He's going to play corner. He's six two, 198. He's built like one of those premium corners that, you know, the Seahawks uh, started this kind of the cover three love on him. They talked about him a little bit in the uh, post con or the uh, press conference post draft, and they were talking about how much they liked him and what they thought about, you know, his instincts and everything else. They talked about a lot of these guys, uh, Yasin as well, talked about how he was a good man corner. He's going to need a little help in the zones. But they love his instincts. They love, you know, his ability to drive on the ball and stuff like that. So let's talk about this secondary and kind of match it up with what the Colts currently have in the secondary. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people have forgotten, Zach, about Jalen Collins. Okay. I yeah. think I think he's a guy that's sitting back there who I mean, six one, two oh three, not not a small guy. Just I mean, fits fits the the profile of what the Colts want. They really liked him last year. Of course, they've got Desir back, Nate Hairston. 
Um, probably, I'm going to say roster bubble right now for Nate Hairston. Uh, DJ Killings, Chris Milton, Kenny Moore, Quincy Wilson. They've got a nice setup right now uh, at cornerback. Rockus in, Marvell Tell. What happens with this group, in your opinion, uh, going forward? And I'm not necessarily saying make a decision on who's there, but how much better did this group get in general, in your opinion? Yeah, so the biggest thing you got to look at, in my opinion, and it's kind of a question here that I can pose to you, is, uh, you know, first week of last season, who were the bottom three corners on this roster? Can you can you name them? Are they even still around the facility? You know, it was like what Lindsey Pipkins. Uh, I, I can't even name the guys. You know, they they were guys who were cut. They were like no name guys mm-hmm. uh, who were bottom of the roster guys. Now going to this offseason, they have four guys that are so, like solidly in that top four. Uh, from Kenny Moore, Pierre Desir, Quincy Wilson, Rocky Sin. Those are your four guys who are going to get a lot of playing time. Then you have a special teams ace and Chris Milton coming back. Then you got your project corner and Marvell Tell, and then you got guys like Nate Hairston, Jalen Collins. You got a lot of guys fighting for roster spots. Yeah, and, and DJ that, Killings. Yeah, DJ Killings Love again, that and, and, and that's exactly what Chris Ballard wanted in this draft. You know, it not I know he's said a lot about adding speed, mm-hmm. not his speed, but depth is huge. And we saw it last year. It was a big thing that I was hyping on uh, last season as well when I was watching a lot of tape. Was if a starter came out, say you know Darius Leonard came out, if if Kenny Moore came out, you know if all these if your good players came out, the guys coming in were not even somewhat up to par. You right. know, the Patriots game last year was a huge example of it. When they had so many guys injured, they had backup guys coming in, and they just were not even somewhat up to par. You know, guys like Sky Moore at linebacker uh, in the secondary again, DJ Killings, uh, Lindsey Pipkins, those guys were just not up to par at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, from this draft class, you know, at every single position, there's going to be a fight for a roster spot, and the guys who make the roster are going to definitely earn their spot. Uh, and, and the cornerback position is a lot like that, so it's going to be a big, it's going to be a battle. I think there's there's four locks. I think it's from uh, Kenny Moore, Pierre Desir, Quincy Wilson, and uh, Rocky Sin. But those last two spots are up for grabs. Does Nate Harrison turn around this offseason? Does he come back to his form that he was in 2017? Yeah. Uh, does Does Marvell Tell take that special teams ace role away from Chris Milton and also provide the upside to be a starting corner? And that kind of lessens the need to have Milton on the roster. Mm -hmm. Or if Tell struggles on special teams, Milton can still stay stay as a special teams guy and Tell can be the project guy. There's a lot of uh, ways this could go. Jalen Collins, if he comes back and he's, you know, a a really good player again, you can't keep him off the roster. There's just so many ways this cornerback group can go. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so much better than where it was last year, beginning of last year, because uh, you know, they had a trade for Lindsey Pipkins late in the offseason last year just to have another body there. Uh, so I, I, I'm just really excited about what Chris Ballard did with this group. Me too. Uh, and you look at the group last year or last – yeah, last year, and this kind of includes the safety group as well. But uh, one of the things that the Colts were really good about was not giving up big plays in the secondary, big pass yeah. plays. Uh, they, they were – man, I know I just looked at this not too long ago. Top five in the league anyways, I think. Maybe top two or three. Um and it just seemed like that was their kind of their calling. They were allowing a pretty high percentage, I think over over seventy percentage completion rate as a secondary in terms of uh, the passer uh, efficiency from opposing quarterbacks. They they weren't really, uh, you know, it, it didn't. They weren't breaking up a lot of passes. It didn't seem they were getting some, you know, some timely interceptions and stuff like that. But how how specifically? Do you think that the second or the corner class got better with what they did in the draft? Yeah, so we'll we'll start with their thirty fourth pick or thirty fourth overall pick in and Rocky you, Sin. And you talked to all three of these guys. Tell, uh, yeah, 
Rock, yeah. Gisin, and um, uh, and Willis. So you talked to all three of these guys. So what was it? What before we get to how mu- how much better are how they got better specifically? Tell me about these guys in general. What was your take on all three of them? Yeah, so uh, I did have the opportunity to speak to all three of these guys. Uh, Rock Gisin, I only got a couple questions in down at Senior Bowl because uh, you know a lot of people were going for him mainly because he was a cool name at that point, not really a big name in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people probably got requests from their followers to go talk to the guy named Rock. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I got a couple words in with him uh, down at the Senior Bowl and a very quiet, reserved guy, but you could tell he's a confident person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when people brought up man coverage, he talked about that as that really being his strength. And then I know uh, one person that was around me asked him, like, what do you really see yourself doing best at the next level? And and he's just brought up that press coverage. You know, he, he knows he can be a good press corner. Uh, and, you know, he has a wrestling background. Uh, so, you know, he's a, he's a fighter at the line of scrimmage. And another big thing that, that I like bringing up whenever I talk about him is, you know, at, at Temple, you don't get a single digit. You, don't, you know, you don't just be given a single digit. You have to earn a single digit at Temple. Uh, if any of you guys don't know the tradition, Temple Tough, the nine toughest players on the roster get the single digits. And, you know, he comes in from three years at Presbyterian College, transfers into Temple, and earns that single digit in, the, in one offseason. You know, to, to get that single digit, you have to be a fighter. You have to be one heck of a leader off the field, one heck of a, a player off the field, and you have to really work for it. Uh, so, you, you know, from everything I've heard from him when I talked to him, along with, you know, all that extra background right there, uh, he, he's going to come in and fight for, for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't given anything. He was a Presbyterian college guy, and then he became an early second-round pick in the NFL. Uh, so, yeah, he, I mean, he's going to come in. He's going to learn. He's got, some, he got a little ways to go, uh, but from just his tenacity and stuff on the field and, and from when I talked to him, I, I was really a big fan of him. I think these guys really all bring in, in what Boward was saying about, you know, you like guys who move up because of their confidence level. They know that they belong, so on and so forth. Do you get the sense uh, from these guys as well that they all felt, you know, and, and it's, and I don't think that it's a cockiness or, or anything like that. It really, what it turns out to be or what it turns into is just that uh, these guys, they, they, they look and they act and they have that feel that they've been there before, even though they're coming out of school. And I think that that's a, a pretty important piece of character as well. Did you get that the same just from them? Yeah, let me let me go to the other two guys here. Uh, to you know, it's perfect examples of that. Uh, Kari Willis was a guy who was a running back throughout high school. From what he told me, mm-hmm. running back in high school, his senior year, had over two thousand yards rushing, over twenty touchdowns rushing comes into Michigan State and has to convert to a safety because they didn't think he was talented enough to be a running back, apparently. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, earned a captaincy after two years or after three years at the program, uh, does countless and countless of community service work. And then if you when you actually talk to this guy, he's the most humbled, uh, nicest person you'll talk to. Uh, He had a big speech at the Big Ten banquet last year about how athletes should be using their their stance or who they are as athletes to reach out to the community and you know help the less fortunate he's a, he's a really good guy and uh he was actually a person before the draft when i heard about all that stuff i really identified as like this is a ballard guy you know even if he's not a ballard guy on the field he's going to be a ballard guy off the field right and he just carries himself like a professional he's been carrying himself like that uh you know his whole life you know he grew up in a rough neighborhood um i, I don't i don't know exactly where it was i think it was around michigan state area though uh but he grew up in a rough neighborhood and you know he he really bettered himself and became a really good uh, young man. So all that stuff from, you know, from talking to him, you really learn a lot about this guy. And he was just, 
you know, just a big face in community. And then going to Marvel Tell, it's a little bit different, uh, but kind of on the same wavelength there. Uh, you know, he, he really wasn't productive his first two years at USC. Uh, was a cor- He was a cornerback in high school, came to USC as a safety, uh, didn't really buy in, didn't really uh, – I, w- I wouldn't say didn't have the maturity, but, like, he just really wasn't producing. Uh, and then he really flipped the switch his junior year. You know, he became a guy who would stay after practice and talk to coaches uh, nonstop after practice. You know, he, w- he would be in the film room all day. He'd be working on his craft all day. And he really matured and became a leader of that team. And, and those are the kind of th- guys that, that Chris Ballard, you know, has really focused on. Mm-hmm. Uh, both these guys were captains. Both these guys are guys who will stay after practice. They'll coach up the young guys. And they just carry themselves as, as true leaders. And in a league where everyone's an elite athlete, you know, you're at worst, you know, you're a 4-5, four, 4-6 four, athlete. Right. These guys are elite athletes. What separates these guys, though, is your confidence, how you carry yourself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how you work. And all these guys, I mean, say, say they reached on all these guys. The one thing that you can guarantee with from pick 34 to pick 200, whatever it was, all these guys are going to come in. They're going to work their tails off because that's exactly what Ballard has preached in getting these guys. So those three guys, though, in particular, from when I talked to them, uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind they're going to come into that locker room and they're going to they're gonna really push the, the, what Ballard wants and they're really going to work hard at it. And that matters a lot. Yeah. I mean, that plays a big role in it. One of the things, though, you know, flat out, we know that they've got to have talent. And, uh, folks, we're going to take a quick break right here. And right after this break, we're actually going to get that answer from Zach in terms of how the Colts' cornerback class, our cornerback room in general, got better with the draft picks. We'll be right back after this. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, folks, we're back. Zach, talk to us about this cornerback class. How did they get better? Yeah, so we'll start at the top here with Rocky Sen again. Uh, you know, overall, I didn't love his game. I, I didn't uh, I didn't really see it from a footwork standpoint yet. 
Uh, I didn't really see any trait that really pushes him over the top. You know, like I don't see an elite athlete, uh, obviously, because he didn't test like an elite athlete either at the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the, the thing that he's really good at, and the one thing that the Colts actually surprisingly like doing a lot is that press man coverage. And, you know, everyone talks about the Colts being that zone team. They are a zone team. You know, they, they run their zone defense. Uh, but guys like Pierre Desir last year, for instance, was at his best when he was in that press man. And the Colts kind of progressively played a little bit more press man later in the year. Even Quincy Wilson uh, is probably a little bit better in that press man type than than in the zone scheme. And I think that was actually um, a strength of Rocky Sins too, which he's mentioned many times. Uh, I really like to see him in that press man. I think that that's a good starting point for him. So if he is the fourth corner or he's the starter opposite Pierre Desir, you know that that he already has that trait very well. Uh, he does have to learn a little bit in zone, uh, but again, the biggest strengths again press man. And his tackling. His tackling is great. And that is one thing that Ballard has really preached with what he loves in his corners is tackling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to come in. He's going to compete. He's going to be good in that press, man. He has to learn a little bit in zone. Uh, but he's going to compete for a day one starter for sure. Right. Well, one of the things with those guys is when when they come in, they've got to be able to be physical. You know, and, and, and a guy that brings – you know, in, in a heavy zone defense, a guy who brings press man skills is going to allow the team to be a little more diverse, d- diversified. They're going to be able to play some cover six where you're playing opposite coverages on opposite side of the field. There are some s- simple things that are going to be able to uh, grow from having a guy that has multiple assets in terms of his skill in coverage. So I like the fact that they drafted a press man corner and it's just not, you know, that wouldn't necessarily probably have been somebody that we would say, Okay, who's the? We would probably go to who's one of the best zone corners in this draft if we thought that the Colts were going to draft him that high, right? But you you see what they're doing, you know. Desir's there, like you said, he's got good press man skills. But you know, Linwood he played some zone too. He played a lot of zone actually. Yeah. So I I think that it's really interesting, really fun to see what Ballard feels like. He can he can put two guys you now. He can put him and uh, Yasin and Desir at opposite sides of the boundary and and you you've got a press man scheme now now you've got a completely different look and you've probably allowed one of the other guys to come into the box you're you got Kenny Moore running the slot or whatever you've got a hell of a good coverage uh group right there just in yeah. general so i think that i think i i you know obviously i agree with you i think that they got stronger i think that they got more physical um you you like to see Quincy Wilson being physical it's just he's got a, like an awkward kind of physical to his game you know yeah. uh when it comes to open field tackles and such so let, let's move to the safety position right now and with Kari Willis out of Michigan State where did you have him kind of in your safety rankings that's kind of been your baby yeah so initially I actually didn't even rank um Kari Willis uh, just because I didn't get around to his film by the time our draft guy got out and he he was kind of a late riser in the process you know he really came um, he kind of jumped up into that third, fourth, fifth range, fifth round range uh, as we approached the draft there. Uh, but the biggest thing I saw <clears throat> when I rewatched him and I, I used to kind of regrade him, he probably would have been close to a top 10 safety for me. Hmm. Uh, probably would have been around the 12th or 13th. Um, you know, not a great athlete. Uh, you still, he just still has a little bit of rawness to his game. You know, he's not going to be a guy who can play over the top. He's not going to be a guy who can read the play in front of him perfectly. Uh, but where he really excels is he's good in man coverage. Uh, as in he can be really physical. I think he had a 22 or 23 uh, bench reps at the combine, which was the most of the combine. So he can get physical. He's a strong player, and he likes to hit those tight ends a little bit. Uh, but the, the best thing I noticed about him is he's just a great tackler, a very solid tackler, very square tackler, and he does not shy away from physicality at all. And it was kind of something I was going to bring up about Rocky Sin there. Um, 
you know, when it comes to secondary guys, I, I love my secondary guys, you mm-hmm. know, from the corners. I love watching safeties and corners. Uh, the, the two things you really can't, you know, teach secondary guys, they either have it or they don't, is, you know, the ability to be physical. And ball and, skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, ball skills too. That's true. But, like, the, the willingness to be physical is one thing you just cannot teach. Right. You know, you either have it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, and Rockison and Kari Willis, they both have it. You know, they're they're willing to hit guys. They're willing to come up. You you can teach, uh, you know, a little bit in zone eyes and stuff like that, and and reading court. Like we saw Quincy Wilson last year, for instance. Like coming in, he was not great with his zone reads and his zone drops. And you know, as we kind of saw him progress last year, towards the end of last year, he really got better at dropping in the zones and reading quarterbacks' eyes. Uh, so you know, you can teach that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the willingness to be physical in the run game and the pass game. And really, you know, can compete with receivers and come downhill and hit running backs. You can't teach that, and, and Willis really has that. And that that's the biggest thing that I came away with this film from is, you know, he, he's not afraid to come up to the box and hit guys. And he, you know, he'll go across the whole field and, and hit guys. And he's just a great tackler, a very consistent tackler. Breaks down and and he drives guys into the ground. And I think that's the biggest thing that Bowd was looking at because, you know, Clayton Gathers is a good player. He comes downfield with a lot of aggression. He'll run into guys, but he's not the most consistent tackler. Mm-hmm. Where a guy like Willis, he, he's a very consistent tackler. He's safer. Uh, so that might be an easy way that Willis gets a little bit little bit of playing time early in his career. I'm trying to think of which, uh, which analyst had Willis in his top five safeties. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was uh, Jonah. Jonah Tools. Was it? Well, I think there was a, I think there was a couple, uh, and I'm talking like larger network. I'm thinking maybe even Kuiper. Uh, or maybe it was McShay. I'm not. I honestly don't remember who it was. Uh, Might have been. I know. I know Jonah had him as a late second rounder. So yeah, uh, and that's or early third, which is you know pretty good again for a guy who went right. early fourth. Yeah, uh, Jonah you know. knows his secondary. I mean, that's high praise from him. So yeah, Jonah knows his stuff when it comes to secondary. But look at the rest of the group here, and this is kind of fun. You, you're talking about Willis and his affinity to be powerful or to be, uh, you know, physical and kind of the the different things you can do with him right now you know clayton gathers we're, we're not excited about his draft or his uh pass coverage necessarily uh Derek kindred I'll, I'll be honest with you i'm not going to pretend to know a ton about him uh roland milligan kind of an average guy that's been on the team george odom i think is a guy we talked to him he's coming up in my opinion uh where he's going to stack on top of a couple of these guys who are depth right now uh add willis into all that and you really have a guy like Matthias Farley and Malik Hooker who are going to be relied upon safety-wise to be the coverage guys, I think, right now. So is that enough, in your opinion, or is the coverage still going to lack here? And how much pressure do you think this puts on Hooker to really kind of show those skills in year three? Yeah, no, it, it definitely does put a lot of pressure on him. Uh, I do actually think, just because you brought Odom up there, I do think that long-term they do have an, a vision of Odom being a uh, you know, more of a move around right. uh, free safety type, but you know, he, he's more of a box guy right now. He likes to come downfield, but he has the athleticism to be that deep safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, right now it does rely a lot on, on hooker. Uh, I, again, I think Willis can be solid back there. I think that, you know, he's a very disciplined player, but you know, from difference with uh, Clayton gathers, I don't think he's going to be a drastic improvement over Clayton gathers in that area. Uh, so yeah, it does kind of rely a lot on hooker again. And, and it's probably frustrating being him. It really is. Cause yeah. Uh, when teams don't test you deep, your stats aren't going to be great. You're not going to get big <laughs> contract. You're not going to be a pro bowler. Uh, but the best thing about him is he he's really bought into this system. You could tell mm-hmm. uh, he loves that the ability. You know that they're not really giving up big plays. Right. I even saw there was a game last year where um, 
somebody tweeted it out where he played, I think, 50 snaps and didn't log like a single stat. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just didn't test him whatsoever. Uh, but that, that's just how the defense is. You know, it, it doesn't rely on him being a guy who can go from hash to hash from sideline to sideline and make these these marvelous plays anymore. He He's a, you know, too deep safety, a guy who just stays on his side of the field, prevents deep plays, and he has to be consistent enough to come up and, and make tackles. And I think that's the biggest area he needs to improve on is, is being able to come up and make those tackles consistently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of um, yeah, a lot of pressure on him making those plays. You know, if the ball is near him. Uh, you know, we all expect him to make that play because he was that high draft pick. He is that coverage guy on the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure on him. He's got to break up those passes. He's got to do yeah. something in the regard to that. But you know, the fact that they didn't test him is a bit of a, a tip of the hat to him, anyhow, right? Yeah. I mean. 100%. You, you see that he didn't have major stats, didn't have a ton of interceptions, didn't have a ton of batted balls, you know, but he was good enough and he played a ton and there wasn't those passes over the top very often. So, you know, they have gotten beat obviously with a few of them, but in general, I think, like I said, I think you still got to tip your hat to him for being back there. If they wanted to test him, they would, you know, teams really try to make a, uh, a concerted effort not to test him. Because they know when you're dealing with a guy who's a hash to hash safety, like you've talked, and you're only making him play half the field now in this new defense, man, you you've got to figure that the reaction and the uh, the ability to you know be productive is going to increase. So when they do, and you know, and I, I still feel like that Matthias Farley is one of the most underrated guys in this group. Not only in this group, maybe the division, maybe in the AFC. In terms of safety, Matthias Farley might be the best damn third safety in the league. I mean, when you look at teams and depth in general, if Matthias Farley is number three in this safety group, maybe he's number two, whatever it is, I man, I, I just he's a physical guy. We've seen him be able to make plays on the ball. A couple years ago, he had four or five interceptions. Um, he's a guy who dislodges, makes you know, is constantly. Uh, getting the ball on the ground. I, I love Matthias Farley and the way he plays. Plus, they love his head. They love, you know, how he can help uh, develop not only uh, guys younger than him at the same position, but the guys that are on the field with him at, at currently, you know. So I think right now you look at the safety group, and I think they're in pretty good hands. I felt this before the draft because there were so many people talking about taking Abrams uh, here or, or just whoever, you know, in the first or second round. And I just never thought that that was really necessary when you've got a pretty good group right now, you've got most of them under contract. You've got a first-round safety. You've got a guy who's hurt, who played like a starter a couple years ago in Farley. You've got Odom coming up. Some of these other guys can fill in if necessary. You've got some physical-type guys. Uh, I, I just really felt like they were, I wouldn't say set, like they had the, the perfect tandem back there by any stretch. But I just really feel like they've got enough back there to where that wasn't a need. And now yeah. with the improvement of that linebacking core, the secondary in terms of the cornerback crew, I think these guys are going to be better this year. I think the coverage over the top is going to be better. I think they're going to gamble a little more, uh, quite honestly. I think the Colts are going to gamble a little bit more, knowing that they've got Hooker, who can play that single high. Uh, and they're going to look to to bring some of that safety pressure, like they tried with, D, with TJ Green, like they brought with Hairston two years ago, like they brought with Kenny Moore last year. Um, I, I really feel like they're going to try to do that with their safeties this year a little bit more because I think they feel with the improvement of this cornerback group with Pierre Desir climbing throughout the season last year with, um, you know, Quincy Wilson even playing some slot snaps last year and growing a little bit towards on the boundary. 
And then you've got Kenny Moore, a guy you're in love with in general. I think that they, not you, I mean the, the Colts. I mean, they're, they're, I am. You are. I am. You I are. <laughs> but, but the Colts are too. They love him too. And uh, he he's a guy who grew on me a lot last year. Um, yeah. and, and I feel like they've really, they really feel like they've got something that's really close to being set, in my opinion, secondary-wise, all the way around. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that that I'm thinking, and I know you were just giving high praise to Farley there, but in my opinion, he might be, you know, he could be on the roster bubble. And I'm not saying it because of his ability at all. It's just, you know, you got your two starters. Uh, you got Gathers and you got Hooker. And you got, you know, a draft pick in Willis. You got George Odom, who they are really high on. Mm-hmm. And then you got a guy coming off an injury. I'm not, Again, I'm not saying that, that Farley doesn't have it a talent-wise, but that's just a deep group right there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think they'll keep five guys personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that yeah, that's a really deep group. And it's so much better than last year where, you know, in the playoffs last year, or halfway through the year they had to sign Mike Mitchell. Right. In the playoffs they had to sign um, – oh, who's that guy? He just signed with the Falcons. That's, he's terrible. Yeah, he was uh, he was the Cowboys guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. God, he was awful. Yeah, but you know, he again, he just came in for one game and he actually played significant snaps. Yeah, and that that's just how poor the depth was last year. And he should. And, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That should never be a case. You should never have to sign a safety before a, a second round playoff game and play him significant snaps. That should never uh, be something on the table. Right. But they were just hampered by injuries and they didn't have the depth last year. Mm-hmm. And now going into this next year, you know, they could be cutting a guy in, in Derek Kindred, who is likely an outside shot to make the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played a majority of the snaps for a pretty good Browns defense last year. That That's just how deep this safety group is. And then, you know, when you go to the corner group, cornerback group, uh, they could be cutting um, a 2017 fifth round pick that, you know, played really well in his rookie year. They could be cutting a special teams ace. They could be cutting, uh, you know, a good player in his passing Jalen Collins. You know, they could be cutting – good players instead of cutting guys like, you know, I keep bringing his name because he's the only one that comes to mind, but like Lindsey Pipkins, uh, <laughs> DJ Killings, you know, like instead of cutting guys who wouldn't make any other roster, you're cutting guys who are probably, you know, bottom of the roster type players for most teams, you know? Uh, so I, I just think that that's such a good thought process that Ballard had going to this draft, you know, uh, all across the defense, they just got so much deeper and so much better. And it's gotten to the point now, instead of, you know, there being one or two big shocking cuts next year, you know, or it was only John Simon that we were all freaking out about or, right. or uh, Ryan Delaire last year, who didn't even make another roster mm-hmm. last year. We were all freaking about cutting him. That's crazy. You know, gonna, That's crazy. I forgot all about Delaire, man. How the yeah, hell did he not yeah, make a roster? This, he was killing it. Yeah. And then this next year, we're going to be cutting guys, you know, like Al Kid and Muhammad, if he doesn't make the roster <laughs> yeah. and he played a significant amount of snaps last year and he was a good player yeah, when he played. played like, well. Yeah. Played well too. Yeah. They could cut Zaire Franklin, a seventh-round pick, who, you know, again, good special teamer last year who played well. You know, there's a lot of depth on this defense now, and they could be cutting players who were middle-of-the-roster players last year for us. It could be off the roster this next year, mm-hmm. and it's just so much depth, and and that was a huge emphasis, and I'm, I'm really glad that that's the route they took in this draft. Me too. I think that – man, I think Bauer just did a, such a good job of, like you said, it's kind of like churning – the roster and, and like literally turning the roster like you're bringing these guys in last year like you said Zaire Franklin could be on the roster but was a seventh round pick last year who played some snaps who played some significant snaps um you've got Matthew Adams in that linebacking core too so I mean you've got so many different pieces in there uh you've got the 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 competition we've already talked about in the secondary and all these guys 
you know, like you said, they were bottom of the roster, but but solid depth, or you know, they were okay depth or whatever in a couple different places. Now these guys may be off the roster because the depth got that much better, and that yeah. means that goes a long way towards building a team. That goes a long way towards building that chemistry. Um, I, I really like you know a lot of what the Colts have done, and Chris Boward in particular, obviously. But man, and I've said this before on the show, I'm sure of it. But you just can't. You just can't beat the chemistry between Reich and Boward right now. I mean, those two guys are in lockstep, and yes. there is nothing more beautiful than that after the crap show we saw between Pagano and Grigson for too damn long. This is something that you – I don't know how – I don't know how often this is actually the case. You see guys, uh, GM, head coach, uh, talk a lot, act like they are on the same page. Uh, but we saw that too with Pagano and Grigson. No matter what we thought of them too, they acted like they were on the same page. These two are genuinely like, uh, and it's just not a better phrase for it. These two are just in love with each other in the way each other <laughs> thinks about football. You know what I'm saying? I They're mean, football guys. They are, and they love it, and they like ass kickers, and they bring them in, and they do this, and they really know what they're doing. That whole scouting department there, man, it's just so impressive to see that. And you know, you know who else? Ed Dodds. I mean, yeah. you, you see at the end of, uh, you know, a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, spoiler here, but at the end of that, uh, this last episode of On the Clock with the, on the Colts.com, you see Frank Reich and Chris Bauer just talking Ed Dodds up in terms of the undrafted free agent pool, how he, you know, manipulated all of that and, and the different uh, scouts into getting the guys who, who they had on their board and all that. And they're just like, you know, Ed Dodds is going to be a GM in this league in a year or two. He's not going to be with the Colts much longer because of his success and because of how good he is. And there's a lot of what you see with him in terms of how he and uh, Reich and Ballard kind of move. These guys, I mean, this is a, it is really just a three-headed monster there with that. And, and you love to see all of them feeling like they're successful because of the same people. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I got my guy, he got his guy. No, we got our guys, all of our guys, we got them all. And that's just something that's so cool to watch. Yeah. And I will say, uh, going to a personnel standpoint again, um, my favorite thing that Bauer did when he came to this team, you know, his, his biggest thing, he looked at a roster that was not only devoid of talent, but was slow. Right. So slow. So slow. I mean, long gone are the days of Antonio Morrison and Dequell Jackson and, mm -hmm. and all these guys on defense that are just slow. Yeah. You know, Who, who's the slowest guy on this defense now? You know, you got athletes everywhere. You know, like, let's look at the linebacker core. Who would you say is the slowest linebacker on this team? Anthony Walker? Like, Man. And Anthony Walker's fast. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. it, it's a fast, fast group. Yeah. And they is. play. They play fast. You know, it's not just, you know, they time fast and they're slow players. They they play downhill and fast. And and I just love it. You know, from defensive end to defensive tackle to linebacker to safety. I mean, all over that defense is just speed. And then on offense, you know, adding guys like Paris Campbell, Naeem Hines, mm -hmm. uh, just just so fast. He made this roster, you know, he took a roster that was stuck in, in the 90s, you know, it was stuck in forever. You know, they were signing guys like Andre Johnson, and, you know, guys who were good in the early 2000s and late 90s, like all these old players that were just slow and, and just way past their prime. And he took it and he made it a young, fast, aggressive team. And, I, again, it goes both to Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, but it's just amazing. You know, it's only been, what, two and a half years? We're going into year three. Yeah. And he 
turned a you know a slow behind the times roster into an upcoming fast young aggressive hungry team full of team captains and and charitable guys and honorable students i mean it, it's a it's amazing and just in just three draft classes he's he's kind of you know made this roster from a laughing stock that couldn't protect andrew luck to just a, a really good team and and it's uh it's impressive to watch and and you know the the with the next pick series has really highlighted that and and i completely agree with what you said about dodds i mean there, there is no chance uh, I, I don't even know if he'll last until the season starts because a lot of teams like to you know, change their front office a little bit after the draft. He might be a GM before this next season even starts. That's a possibility. Uh, he, yeah, he, he's a he's an upcoming guy, and he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a star GM in this league. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just just all around, just from the scouting department to the GM to the coaching, uh, they've really turned this roster around. And you know, I didn't grow up a Colts fan. I, I I cover the Colts now. I didn't really grow up a Colts fan. I started watching the last couple of years. Uh, it, it's definitely a really refreshing seeing a team do this because you rarely see this in the NFL where a team can kind of make this complete turnaround. And uh, a lot of it goes to Ballard and Reich for sure. Absolutely. So before we get out of here real quick, it got me thinking you were talking about slow guys. Uh, let's talk about kind of the, the, the trading of Hassan Ridgeway. So a defensive end, basically the, the beef of the Colts defensive end group is Jabal Sheard in terms of build weight, you know, size, um, you look at the defensive tackles, you've got Marcus Hunt closing in on 300. Grover Stewart right now, excuse me, 333 is far and away the heaviest guy in the middle there. And used to be Ridgeway was kind of right behind you in the 320, 325 area, I think. Um, but Jihad Ward at 290 is the next best thing. So those are your three beef guys along the interior defensive line. Is this going to hurt them at all? Or I mean, because they don't have enough beef, or is this enough beef in terms of uh, trading off what they have for size with speed. Yeah, so I will say, uh, you know, this, this defense that they run, uh, the way that they run this defense, uh, if you want to see another team that does it almost the exact same way as the Cowboys, uh, you know, Matt, Eberf Matt Eberflew is coming from the same type of system there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not really about eating up blocks on the defensive line. Right. It's about getting as many guys as you can into that backfield at once mm -hmm. and having that running back have to make either a split second decision or just kind of go down and get what he can. Right. Uh, it's all about havoc. It's all about coming downhill fast. And that's why you see a guy like Marcus Hunt, you know, traditionally defensive end, you have a 300 pound guy who is an Uber athlete, you know, four, six uh, speed, uh, 300 pound guy who was a former discus champion. Uh, you know, when he was younger, all you tell him to do is shoot up field and get in the backfield. And we saw it last year. You know, he split double teams. He runs through guys. Uh, you know, they, they don't need that beef up front. They, they they honestly believe they don't need that beef. Now, they'll have guys like Grover Stewart on the roster. Mm -hmm. You know, and they could also bring back – they could also bring back Al Woods. Or they could also bring in a guy like Danny Shelton if they really want uh, that size up front. Uh, but that's, they don't really want those guys playing that much, you know, maybe right. on short yardage downs. But – uh, for the most part, on their base defense, they want guys who are going to explode into that backfield and the guys who are going to cause penetration. And, you know, their their philosophy is, you know, it's better to have four defensive linemen that can all penetrate and get in the backfield and get in front of that running back than have, you know, maybe four guys that can eat up space for your linebackers. You know, you want it to be not only your linebackers making tackles for losses, but also your defensive linemen. You know, get everyone in that backfield, cause havoc. Uh, so overall, you know, Obviously, from a team building standpoint, I, I can understand why someone will look at this and say, like, you know, they're going to get pushed around a little bit. But uh, their overall scheme just emphasizes guys getting into the backfield and, and getting there fast. And and honestly, uh, 
a little bit of a side note here, but Marcus Hunt's not going to get pushed around by anybody. Right. You know, he might <laughs> he might only be three hundred pounds, uh, but he could probably you know you know deadlift every single player on the roster right now. He's oh, yeah. he's a strong man, so uh, I you know he might be thirty three pounds less than uh, Grover Stewart, but I'm sure he can hold blocks even better than him yeah, up front. But yeah, it's all about that penetration, getting into the backfield. And causing havoc and, and you know the Colts did a great job with that last year yeah Marcus Hunt's in good shape I'm not too worried about him but a lot of yeah. what they you know that and it's not speed so much from the defensive line even though they want that it's the explosion the initial explosion the initial ability to get slippery and get between blockers um I, I just I like that they're cutting down the beef but I it's it almost is like you, you've still got to have that extra guy there. And I thought that was kind of what Hassan Rijo was. It's not a big loss in terms of talent overall, in my opinion. I thought he was pretty good. Um, but it, it's just a matter of, to me, you know, do they really use Marcus Hunt? Yeah, I mean, on interior, going to try and use him as the three tech? You know, are they going to occasionally use him over the one or what? It, it just i'm just curious more than anything you know i'm just curious to see yeah. how they uh, rule this out because taekwon lewis is obviously going to play more interior this year than edge although i think he's perfectly suited to take over the edge uh the left defensive end as jabal sheard exits the team within the next year uh or two or whatever it is but uh i just think that they've got a really impressive bunch so uh tonight we got through the corners and safeties talked a little bit about the rest of the defense uh, next time, we're probably going to talk linebackers, defensive line a little bit more in depth about the, this class, uh, talk about a little bit of everything because the, the Colts really kind of did exactly what they wanted to do in this draft. They had 10 picks. They focused on defense. They got better. They gave each of the, these positions legitimate depth, I think. And, uh, and, and I think that they gave not only – Andrew Luck another weapon in Paris Campbell but I think they gave Frank Reich another weapon in Paris Campbell where you've got a larger version of a guy like Naheem Hines who can do just about anything who can take the sweeps who can run the routes who can become a yak guy who can hit out the boundary he's got a lot of uh of assets to him that Frank Reich's really going to want to use so this was a fun class I'm really excited about it Zach we're going to talk about more of these guys here in the coming days Awesome, man. Awesome. And yeah, going just quickly on your point there about Paris Campbell. Uh, if you guys want to check out my latest film room on him, it did drop this morning. And the kind of the wrinkle I've been adding to the film rooms with these draft picks is, you know, I go over their strengths, but instead of going over their weaknesses, I'm going over, uh, you know, how they really fit uh, the Colts offense and even adding plays from the Colts past season. Uh, you know, like like with Paris Campbell, adding a reverse play from Zach Pascal and then adding a successful reverse that that uh, Paris Campbell ran in college just to kind of show how they can use that here in the pro. So if you guys want to see almost exactly what Matt was talking about there, uh, check out that, that article there. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm really excited about Paris Campbell too. That that's going to be very fun. Uh, but I'm excited about this whole draft class in general. I think they're going to use these guys uh, in ways that really maximize their abilities. I agree. Most definitely. And yes, make sure you guys are getting to see Zach's work. It's been excellent. It's been phenomenal throughout the entire draft season. Not just a plug, honestly. Go out if you've ever read his stuff before. You already know the you already know why I'm telling you this. It's good stuff. So make sure you guys are doing that. Uh, make sure you guys are getting on iTunes, hooking us up with a rating review, all that good stuff. Get to Stampede Blue for all your Indianapolis Colts news and articles and 
everything that you want in Indianapolis Colts. Stephen Holder had a nice podcast the other night. It was really good talking about Ballard's philosophy in terms of uh, acquiring new picks, uh, going and using the uh, the comp pick system to his benefit as well. Really interesting stuff. Stephen does an excellent job uh, kind of laying this stuff out for us. So, I mean, make sure you guys are checking his show out too. Uh, but more or less, thank you guys for joining us on uh, YouTube. Thank you guys for continuing to come back to the podcast. Zach, thank you for being on the show, my man. Always great uh, knowledge and, uh, and insight from you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Anytime. I love talking about this team. Uh, <laughs> just just a very fun team. I mean, I, even if I wasn't writing for them, I would love to talk about them just because, again, just very fun. Very fun and seeing exactly how they're, how they're building this roster. It is interesting. And we're going to talk a lot more about it here in the offseason as the – as time rolls on and, and this uh this stretch between now and training camp seems to last forever so uh thank you guys uh for coming back we're gonna have a couple more shows up for you this week kind of depends on the other podcasts and kind of when they release and so on and so forth but we'll make sure we get plenty for your ears out here in the next few days so uh thank you guys all for listening we'll talk to you next time right here on the colts cast stampede blue